Welcome to episode 58 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we discuss the themes of well-being and sustainability in real estate and hospitality today. I'm your host, Matt Morley, founder of Biophilico Wellness Real Estate and Healthy Buildings. In this episode, I'm in the UK talking to Faye Robinson, the founder of Treacle Studio in Manchester. It's an independent architectural lighting consultancy They provide bespoke lighting designs for interior and exterior spaces, but we're really focused in on the sustainability angle here. Faye is a wealth of information on circular design, waste management, wellness lighting, recycling, and the standardization challenges for sustainable lighting fixtures to come just around the corner in the industry. This is a fascinating discussion. Here she is, Faye Robinson from Treacle. Let's jump in. I know you've got over a decade or 15 years plus experience in the lighting industry. We've had conversations privately in the past about sustainability within this sector. And I think it's, it's often a neglected corner of, of, this, of the overall sustainability picture within an interior fit out or, or buildings and architecture. So I'd love to hear your perspective, particularly on, on one area. Let's start with that around waste in lighting. So yeah. what are the main sources of waste? during the, the fit-out process as it relates to light and then I guess at the end of the life of those those luminaires or those products that you put in? Yeah, I'd, I'd say definitely um, kind of across the board, it's that whole kind of strip-out process because um, it's all been based around a very kind of like linear approach. Um, it's kind of like disconnect there. So um, I see it probably more in the kind of office world at the moment, the office sector, with um, entire schemes being removed from a building, it, stripping it right back to the, the core, the shell, and then effectively putting everything, everything's new that goes in there. Um, it's kind of those missed opportunities, really, in terms of reusing, perhaps, furniture, um, finishes, you know, uh, wall finishes, floor finishes. And then, of course, luminaires. So invariably, um, in most cases, I'd say definitely luminaires are removed and that's it. You don't really get to hear about what happens beyond that. Um, So that's definitely one of the things that's always been a big question mark for me um, in terms of that whole kind of process. So we we talk often about the idea of putting in LED lights as as an initial step Mm. towards having a, a greener approach to, to lighting. But what, what opportunities do you see then around recycling those luminaires? I mean, we've discussed the idea of waste being an issue, yeah. reuse one option. Is there a recycling solution in that? Like, What do designers need to do or what could be done in terms of creating luminaires that can be recycled? Is, is, that, is that happening at the moment? Well, there's kind of this, there is, there's lots of ways um, that you can kind of address it and um, the whole kind of process so um you know we've 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 had since 2005 the we directive so um waste electrical and electro- electronic equipment recycling the directive that basically reduces landfill um caused by you know those products so essentially um there's kind of two two levels of, of how this is approached. And the onus is, is generally on uh, the manufacturer to um, apply an amount 
uh, to the product when you purchase it to allow for the recycling afterlife um, of that product. Um, now, as with most um, kind of directives, it can get quite bureaucratic in terms of designating, you know, the, the process um, when you inherit a space, who's responsible from that product if you've not necessarily selected it yourself. Um, but there are two bodies um, in particular in the UK that I know of um, that are, are working on um, making that process simpler. So there's a bunch called Lumicon and there's also um, a bunch called Ricolite. Now, these are um, uh, not for profit, non-for-profit organisations that basically help um, kind of smooth that process out. So that's something that um, on a B2B or a, a B2C scenario there's options there um to help you know the process of recycling luminaires when you you know you have them on site and you can't reuse them um then there's also the next kind of level uh which is the remanufacturing approach so um it's a little crossover there i think with the uh, lumicon and rico light but also there's there's kind of a collection of um, organizations that are popping up um, to deal with or help kind of solve that problem. Um, so I know of, there's a few, um, I, think, I think RICO do fall under that category, but then there's also a bunch called EGG um, Lighting that also look at that. And then um, uh, several of the manufacturers are offering uh, like a remanufacturing process. I know I've, I've done some stuff with Trica before and, you know, I could rattle it quite a few off for you but there are options there and I think it's that it's just informing people um one thing we're very good at in the lighting industry and I'm sure it's kind of you know sector-wide industry-wide um we're very good at telling each other about it but not kind of spreading the word so um yeah that's that's something that I'd like to to try and do so there's there's definitely um options there it's just you know educating really and just to dig into that a little bit, that the idea of remanufacturing. So obviously that that would then, when we can get into circular design, that was going to be my next question. But remanufacturing, that does imply that somehow we need to get that luminaire and those light fixtures all the way back to the manufacturer from the time of the strip out, right? So yeah. Yeah. If you, do you see that happening or is that the main pain point in terms of the awareness that you're, you're describing or the lack of awareness and therefore things aren't getting it is recycled? the lack of definitely the lack of awareness there so um but there there are people in, in fact you you find that it's it's kind of like the smaller companies that have got more agility that are are, are kind of honing in on this um so they will not only let's take retail for example so there's there's um there are companies that will actually buy back the luminaires so if you wanted to completely refit your space that will buy back the luminaire and then they will you know update the the led the the light source element in there um and, and then resell that um so that's that's one option and then of course there is the full um full 360 where it goes back to the manufacturer um but obviously that's what, what's inherent with that is that the labeling system has always been there on that luminaire it could have been there for goodness knows how many years so you kind of need these kind of um companies and resources that kind of fill in the gaps that would be missing otherwise um 
<laughs> so in other words, say I had a say I've got a fifty room boutique hotel and we're doing we're doing sustainability plan for them. Uh-huh. Say they've got, you know, half half of the, the rooms are fitted out with LEDs, but there's some that clearly aren't. And so we start looking into this and we think, okay, well, first of all, we need to take out some of these luminaires and they might have been there for a decade or so. Who knows? That rather than just putting that into a random white electoral goods recycling bin, there may be the opportunity to remanufacture those. But how would we then, how does one find out? It's about identifying, first of all, those those middlemen, potentially, those companies that yeah. can buy and refurbish, essentially, and resell. Because mm-hmm. that, that would be something that wasn't on my radar, but could be a solution for yeah, that yeah. exact scenario around, for example, yeah, refit in a hotel, they want to upgrade, move on to a more sustainable solution. And so that kind of an intermediary could be a, yeah. a quick solution in a sense, right? And they they then give them a new life for those fixtures. Totally. I mean, it's 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 kind of a whole mind shift, isn't it? Really, you're almost relying on a almost a stock take of what you've already got in these spaces to kind of preemptively line up. You know mm. who you go to, what your options are. Um, it's it's it gets that shift, isn't it, from that kind of linear approach? We need to kind of you know these these all these different kind of elements that we now need to consider. Um, and there are people now arriving on the scene that can that can kind of help out with that whole process. So yeah, I definitely think that would be the the way forward. I think that's a really interesting idea, and I'm literally going through it at the moment. Whereby facilities management in a hotel team, there's a bunch of electrical goods that just somehow yeah uh, break down, end up possibly on the on the rubbish tip. We don't quite know, but. The idea of working with and advising and providing those solutions to the FM team so that they don't have that headache because it can clearly see it's mm-hmm. okay, well, what do we do? Or housekeeping sees a luminaire breaks, facilities management come in, they take it away, it just ends up in the bin, might just about end up in a recycling bin if, if we're lucky. But if, for example, I or someone helping that team to think about these things were to say, look, here are the solutions. X, Y, and Z go into X bin or Y bin, or they can be called upon to come and take these things away. And therefore, you, I think sometimes it's about making it as easy as possible, right? So finding those companies, Absolutely. presenting them to the client, and, and, and hoping that that then leads to you know as, as little waste as possible. So that's sort of almost a zero waste approach when it comes to, for example, the light fittings and luminaires. Totally, totally, yeah. Yeah. So Well it's circular design, isn't it? We're kind of like we're talking around the talking around the subject, but I know I know it's an area that, that you're interested in. So I wondered, you know, how standardized and interoperable are most light fixtures and component parts? Because obviously that circular idea, you know, one thing that is becoming increasingly apparent is around plastics, for example, when, you know, when a plastic's yeah. mixed, if you have more than one type of plastic, there's no way that's ever mm. getting recycled. So single mm. types of plastic like PET, PET, that's actually not too bad in the sense that we can do something with it. We know it's just made of one type of plastic. It can go into that bin. It's It can be recycled and it can be given a new life. It can at least stay in the circle. Mm-hmm. How does that work with the lighting world like what are your challenges what is happening at the moment what could be done that isn't being done how do you see that space yeah i mean the, the, yeah again <laughs> this this kind of um there are bodies that have, have kind of popped up i think the main um issue for um the lighting industry at the moment um 
it's the speed that LEDs have kind of um, progressed in terms of the technology of them. You know, it's it's smaller, brighter. You know, everybody's kind of ploughed ahead um, on that narrative, and 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 essentially, um, it's it's we've tried to. Um, because it moves so quickly, um, we've tried to shoehorn this technology into existing luminaires. So almost um, saving time on uh, an R&D element that maybe should have been considered a little bit more, but we kind of understand, you know, I understand that you're trying to sell product. Um, but people seized upon this. And I think really the the kind of cleanest way it's been done is potentially, um, if you think of like domestic, um lamps led lamps that we've probably all now starting to use that's probably the the cleanest um kind of transition that's happened the easiest you know work with a light bulb and essentially you know put the the led in there um it it's it's easier because we've got you know the fixings there are kind of prerequisite we've got the kind of bayonet cap and an edison screws cap and it's what we've got to work with so it's quite good in terms of um the more kind of architectural side of luminaires because of that kind of speed that the led technology has happened and the fact we've shoehorned in this technology into existing shapes of luminaires there's been a bit of a disconnect there um, where you know you come to recycle and you can't just pop the light source out. You've got to remove the whole luminaire um, because one isn't detachable from the other. So um, in particular, there's an organisation um, called um, Zaga, uh, which is trying to standardise that kind of connectivity within luminaires, but also along the chain um, there as well in terms of how you know drivers then connect to the light source and how that driver then connects to the controls side of things so that kind of um, standardization and making the whole light and installation serviceable is what they're trying to work towards um, so that's that's there's a group of manufacturers and specialists involved in that um, so I'm keeping an eye on that and just seeing how that plans pans out really um so i'd say that's the more uh, more prominent kind of a group that's dealing with this um at the moment and then obviously what we've we've talked about before in terms of the recycling side of things and the remanufacture is the other route i think you you aim you introduce a quite a you know a big idea there in a sense one thinks about you know, I'm always interested in the, what happened in the, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, right, where at some point someone had to standardize screws. First of all, invent a screw and then standardize them, just like they did with, with railroad tracks. And they're still having issues with railroad tracks today where the, the, the tracks themselves aren't. I think it's something between how the Chinese do it and um, yeah, how they do it in the Middle East or something. They're trying to sort of, yeah, create a, a railroad between the two. And it's almost as if there is a need to go through a second transformation for a greener economy, not along just standardization lines for its own sake to make you know, building these products easier. But in terms of that circular design component, they need to be standardized mm -hmm. almost for a different end, not to make everyone's lives mm -hmm. easier, uh, interoperable, yeah. but interoperable and 
into recyclable. And that's a whole other, that's a big idea to get one's head around as an industry. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, totally. And it's, it's um, you know, it's that, that thing as well. It's, um, I, you can understand it from a, a manufacturer's point of view as well. You know, how do you define your product beyond everybody else's? And, you know, that's, you, you kind of keep, it's, it's sharing of information as well now that it, it relies quite heavily on. So um, it's, it's a complete shift <laughs> in mindset. And you can understand that it's, it's going to be maybe smaller steps um, to start. But, you know, we need to pick up the pace a little bit, I think, definitely. I think there are examples. You know, they've just passed an EU legislation around um, USB-C uh, charging cables. Uh, really standardizing that from I think it's 2025 onwards around uh, how we're all what cables we are to buy and be allowed to use with our mobile phones so that there's there's less waste because of all that it's not just convenience but also a huge amount of waste apparently when you look at the figures so you know there's small steps as you say there's it's perhaps an industry-wide problem in your case but digging into some of your work and and what you do around uh, perhaps a case study or two or examples you've you can think of from your your history of where you've been able to integrate a slightly more circular approach, or where it's where you've been able to yeah find a win within the otherwise sort of chaotic scene of recycling or not within lighting. So, are there any examples from your past that you've you could describe to us to give us a sense of how it can be a an opportunity and actually within reach for for lighting designers to use a bit more circular design principle? Totally. I mean. Um... We're very fortunate at the moment. We've, we've um, within the industry, we've well, it, it's actually launched in 2021. Um, we've got the TM66 um, circular economy um, document, technical memorandum, and um, essentially um, that's been written within by people within the the lighting industry, um, and it's got some very useful um, kind of crib sheets that run alongside that. So um, we have the questions, or we have prompts, basically, both on a manufacturing and design side to apply, and that's something that I will be or have been applying to projects. Um, not it's it's not just a case. So um, I've, I've done a quite bit of light art re- um, recently, and even with that kind of element, you know, something that's a temporary installation. You know, I'm thinking about how um, once those luminaires have been used in that installation, what happens to them afterwards? It's that thinking beyond your initial handover. You know that you've got responsibility beyond that. So. Um, one in particular uh, was when I worked um, on the Havelock Woven um, scheme, which was um, a light art installation, and that basically used a lot of LED um, tape, effectively. And what's happened is I've worked with um, the integrator team on that, and we have basically um, donated that LED to a scheme within Manchester, which is helping to rehome, you know, um, well, people without homes, effectively, the homeless is a scheme there. Um, and that LED is going into the that installation, you know, to light these spaces. So it's got a life beyond that initial installation. Um, 
so I think that's that's quite in a uh, an, a prominent and interesting one because it's a, generally a temporary installation to start. Um, but I can move on to. Well, let me ask a quick question on that one. So that the intermediary then between yourselves yeah. and that the, the the second life that was given to those LEDs that was a specific lighting related. Uh, organization or that was more of a sort of interiors in general i work with um a team they're a manufacturer effectively um who helped um install this creation and then we worked together to try and find another route forward um you know for the for the luminary we we were you know we examined whether we could reuse it in the fit out of the actual space um, and then we also had a backup um, scenario as well where it may not work necessarily with the interior scheme because, as you know, you have so many different people involved in that kind of process. Um, it's generally a different team that you work with on a, a core scheme than it is on the fit-out side. So um, we basically needed a plan B in case it didn't work with the scheme that was intended um, for the fit-out. Um, so yeah, we, we worked with, um, various charities, um, in Manchester just to see what was, you know, if anybody would be interested in taking up that and yeah, they bit our hand off. So there's, particularly on small scale or rather short term projects, not to do with the scale, more the the duration of a project. It's an almost, it's, it's more acute because clearly the end the end of that, at least the first sort of circle of, of its life is within sight. And so there's yes. more of an onus on you to, to think about yes. what happens afterwards. But, but you can see how it also connects with the idea of within a building beginning to plan ahead for the end of the life of those luminaires for when it comes so that you have a plan in place already. So whether it's a short term yeah, or yeah. mid term, you 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 know where it's going to go. You have a plan. Of course, that yes. might it might not work out that way. You might need a plan B or a plan C, but you have a, at least a plan A lined up for what happens when. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And are there particular brands that you you're favouring at the moment in terms of brands that are really on board with the idea of circular economy, circular design? and reducing waste are there any that you could reference for people who are interested in in understanding what the opportunities are yeah totally so um i'm doing a lot of work at the moment with orluna who i think really have um set the standard in terms of you know the whole circular economy approach within luminaires you know they've got the whole the labeling system ready the returns system set up and ready to go um all boxes ticked um, in terms of assessing them alongside that that TM66 document that I mentioned previously. Um, but I'm also um, looking at, um, like I said, the smaller and more agile companies. Um, so there's definitely a bunch of um, a couple of um, companies in particular that I've been looking at as well. Um, a bunch called LumiAd, who are a small um, team actually using 3D printing uh, to produce luminaires now, but um, at the core of that, you know, the the, the material they're using is the um, the corn or the the sugar cane. Is it um, P- PLA? 
um, material that they use, which is can effectively, it's an industrial process, but it can be broken down um, and recycled effectively. So they were an interesting bunch and I'll be keeping my eye on those. And so it's it's like the corn sugar, the, the corn starch, it's effectively a plastic alternative, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think you apply, you apply yeah. it. It's a mono um, hmm. monomer. Is that the pre- correct way of uh, pronouncing it? Um, yeah. So they they're basically using that, and obviously this the kind of it's the whole material front as well that I'm interested in. Um, the fact that people are kind of examining that, um, you know, using coffee grinds and things like that to, you know, make these new materials. Um, there's another bunch as well called um, finial, or finials, um, and they are, you know, using mycelium for packaging. Um, there's, a, there's a core theme running throughout this where they have, um, you know, a set number of components and each one's interchangeable. So you don't have to, you know, completely change the whole luminaire. You know, you can pop one part off and change it with another. You know, that's that whole kind of... The, the process that's probably uh, not unique to man- manufacturing anyway, you know, you've got to do that to some extent, but this is kind of taking it to the next step. Um, so, yeah, I'm keeping my eye on all that kind of thing. Um, Amazing. Because, again, it's, it's a knowledge share, isn't it? And I mean, gosh, I, I've only... I've only gone as far as the lampshade. I know I can, I can, I can get you a, a mycelium lampshade, or I can get you a one made of coffee and uh, coffee un- industrial coffee waste, and uh, I think it's orange peel made in the, made in London. Yes. Imagine that pu- yeah, combined yeah. with one of these luminaires you're describing inside. I mean, that's sort of that's where we need to get to. Clearly, that's where it needs to be. Totally. I love the examples. Now, I, I wanted to switch gears a little bit then in terms of, so that's obviously thinking more in terms of the uh, planetary aspect or pl- planetary impact aspect. But then if we think of the people aspect, so the impact that lighting can have on us as as users, inhabitants, occupants of a space. We've been doing some work together on a on a medical wellness bar in, in Knightsbridge in London. And that, that raised the question with our little team there around, wellness lighting and what exactly that entails circadian lighting might be something that's already on on people's radar effectively that 24-hour cycle but you know i'll be honest i'll often go as far as suggesting that it needs to be you know effectively a blue and white light spectrum during the day to energize and and provide uh, a space that is is adapted for work and productivity and then clearly after dark or in the evenings you need something of a more amber color so that you're not disrupting sleep but beyond that i don't think there's much more i could talk to you about on that subject so as an expert on this i'm going to use the opportunity to uh, first of all dispel any myths and also to understand really what's going on here obviously the circular uh, circular circadian rhythm we all have that's in us but how can lighting help or hinder that and really how much data do we have on it in terms of evidence that we can have a positive impact on a, an occupant's experience <laughs> yeah yeah totally i think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there um for me at the moment the the technology that's being labeled as circadian rhythm and lighting is effectively tunable white light um, dynamic white light um, the, the kind of um, research 
um, into its effects and applying it within a space and its effects on humans, you know, the users of the space is still relatively uh, recent, young, really, in, in, and, and not been tested to any great extent. Um, interestingly, I was sat in a, a talk um, a couple of weeks ago uh, with a, a neuroscientist who actually um, specializes in, um, you know, the circadian process and the effect of artificial light on that process. And um, the kind of levels that um, were mentioned in terms of light output that actually trigger the circadian process are way higher than anything that we're producing uh, with the, with the technology that we currently have that we're currently labeling as circadian lighting so I, I think just to, to, to take a step back on that anything that is um inside you know we're trying to mimic the, the natural world and make it more comfortable for us to be in um and I think it's it is exactly that kind of mapping the natural progression and changes of the color appearance of light um, through the day um, to enhance the the interior environment that we're in, rather than it having a more an immediate effect on you know our circadian rhythm per se it's making us feel more comfortable in the space and more connected you know feeling that the the outside is inside it's so it's more of a um an experience i'd say rather than um fully proven scientific fact at this stage um but it definitely you know it, it does help that kind of the idea that things are changing around you rather than it being a static um, colour that would, you know, it helps you kind of readjust and give you, gives you a sense of, of time passing, I'd say, more than anything else at this stage. So I've probably answered that in a very political way. <laughs> well, I think but no, the, way, it's, it's, the way out then is, we haven't used the terminology, but the idea of biophilic design really is what you just described, the idea of bringing the outside world in, recreating a natural environment in our dense exactly. urban world and just trying to align. It's, it's based on the principle of our lives in nature being a model upon which to sort of try to stick to as best we can, despite the fact that we might be, for example, working long hours in a dense urban environment in a huge skyscraper building rather than outdoors in, a, in our back garden or what have you. And I think that's the... That's the way through rather than throwing it away and saying, well, there's, there's actually nothing to it or no real evidence behind it. I think mm. if we can accept that daylight is such a powerful force on our sense of, of well-being and all the goodness that can come from that, such as providing uh, uh, energy for photosynthesis in plants, in the same way, it clearly has an impact on how we feel as a space. And so perhaps circadian right. lighting is really, if anything, just trying to align with that when there is limited natural light just uh, then well how close can we get to a natural experience right totally totally yeah that's that's exactly it far more eloquent than the way i phrased it there you go <laughs> great well isn't then the other one then is energy right and so the, the, the idea that office buildings perhaps in the they might have tunable lights they might be adjusting their light intensity during the day or frankly not 
in 99% of the cases, I think most offices uh, pretty much just have, you know, an on and an off. But what yeah. what can be done in terms of the lighting system, perhaps not just the luminaire, but other like sensors and controls, monitors and switches? What, what would a, a, a perfect case study look like in terms of setting things up so that we're using energy in an efficient, optimal manner within, let's say, a large office building? Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say it's embracing smart smart tech. Um, essentially, we're at that much as you know we were just talking about earlier that the idea that we're mimicking the outside inside. You know, we have that that wealth of technology now where you know it's adaptable. It learns. You know, you can pretty much personalize the space that you have for how you are using it um and you know doing that with multi-sensors um you know monitoring um carbon dioxide alongside you know the the natural light in the space relative to artificial light you know balancing things out and um really kind of monitoring how spaces are used doing a first pass and then allowing it to adapt um for example um of an evening when maybe the space isn't as full um i mean the whole kind of work space scenario is changing or has changed um you know offices aren't as busy as they used to be um you know why is the lighting always on when there's no one in there it's it's kind of a you know adapting switching and trusting in that tech to adjust and make those savings for you um and then you can monitor you know it's monitoring and and, and registering how how that's used and it, if you you know if you um end up moving to another space you know you've got that technology there you've 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 monitored how you're using your current spaces you can see how that could maybe translate into it, it, should you move office space for example you you have a, a basis there already to understand how you're actually using your space. I think that's that's um it's I think it's embracing that and understanding that what I'm very conscious of is that you could standardize that. And I think that's that's where you have to kind of embrace smart tech and understand that you need to tailor it then to your your specific needs. It's a good starting point, but the smart tech is definitely there to adjust and personalize your space. So embracing the, the technology that's available to create uh, lighting conditions that via an ongoing monitoring process can automatically adjust to usage. So like how, how the kind of density of how many people are in there and where they are, uh, perhaps possibly at given times of day, you might imagine uh, light time, uh, lighting at lunchtime, for example, being slightly different during the lunch break to uh, you know, mid morning and adapting to outside conditions. If it's a if it's a dark, gloomy day, then no matter how much glazing you have in your building frontage, the, you're going to be in grey flat light inside. So on those days, it might need to compensate a bit more. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think um, also um, it's it's embracing the idea of having you know some further personalization. Where I think we've all now realize that we all like being in at different times of the day we might all like working in slightly different locations or having a different feel in the environment that we're in so having that option there 
again with smart tech being able to adjust the lights where you you are you know personalize the space in, down to the kind of minute level <laughs> as well um is is something that's important i think um with kind of like um, standards and guidance, you know, well version V2, for example, um, that is encouraged now, you know, before where we'd, we'd, we'd used to, we've finally realised that we're designing for people as well <laughs> um, in these spaces and we're not just, you know, ticking boxes in terms of, of, of light levels. You kind of need to em- embrace it and not only the idea of a user experience, um, but also on the energy side, you can tick all boxes with 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 smart tech that's available. That could presumably also be something as simple as a as a desk lamp or a, or a, a task lamp. Or, yeah. yeah. So you you adjust that to your personal settings, as assuming that the overhead lighting isn't completely dominating everything. If that was set slightly lower, then you could also yeah adjust your own immediate environment with a task lamp or a desk lamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what we need. And it, it, what's what's very strange is we're kind of a step behind how it was may, is maybe approached in mainland Europe, where you know you see much lower kind of ambient levels in the background and and his task lighting everywhere. Um, yeah, it's it's been a bit of a bugbear for lighting designers for some time. <laughs> Not a problem here in Barcelona. They have a particular taste in uh, leaving lobby buildings, residential buildings pretty much dark apart from uh, uh, one or two well-chosen lamps in the the reception sort of entrance areas. And it just yeah, creates a certain ambiance and mood that just speaks homeliness and comfort. And and it's incredibly inviting walking into a space that isn't lit with intense white overhead yes. lighting. <laughs> I feel like we could go on. It's been really interesting to dig into this. It's, it's a it's a topic that perhaps doesn't get as much coverage as it deserves, I feel. And you've obviously got a wealth of information to, to share. So I encourage everyone to check out your website. We'll put the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Faye. Thank you. Thank you very much.